So what kind of structure do you think we can have for this? Uh, it's kind of fun that, that I like how Baron is such a free movie where it, it weaves in and out. Well, like it makes I it makes perfect sense, but it's really cool how it. I think it's interesting that we are talking about Baron Munchausen, and we're trying to talk about how we're going to structure it. When yeah. The, when we're dealing with the movie that's dealing about structure, like how do you structure mm-hmm. your life? How do you structure yeah. all of reality? Yeah. How do you structure all of reality, and how do you structure that life is a story and stories are life, and how do you show that stories change your life. They change real occurrences, real happenings, mm-hmm. right? That that changes the outcome is the story. So how do you make it a story, but also make it reality? And yeah. that's the thing that they do so brilliantly. Yeah, they like, do it brilliantly, but it, it's it's almost difficult to talk about. And it, like in in among that is also showing like how is... How is reason illogical, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And and how is how how does that happen? That the, the, the imagination and the the tall tale. Yeah. How is that more true? It's more rational. It's more rational. Yeah. Than 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 what is deemed reason. Reason. Yeah. yeah. So how about we start with? I think that was a good cold open, kind of like. And people are like, we don't know what you're talking about. Tell us what you're talking about. And I'm like, I don't care. If you're not smart enough to figure it out. We gave you a title and we get to blather. That's all you get. But no, I think the real starting will be how the movie starts. And I think that will lead us in really well to talking about this movie. Talking about the thing we're going to talk about. And okay. I, I, the thing that I won't name because we're going to name it later. Ha ha ha. <laughs> so why don't you why don't you give us like what what are the words we're giving like given so, to that that's the scene so that's imagine if you will this opening shot upon a city that's along the shore and you know what the landscape is very reminiscent of El Cid remember mm-hmm. the final battle at El Cid if you know El Cid it you know looks exactly about. like that yeah. Oh, that's funny because that was shot in Spain. Yeah. And I think this, that was shot in Spain as it well. It might have been on the old site, to be honest, because the sea is on the same side. That's really like interesting because I and... watched all the special features and they did shoot a lot of it in Spain. Yeah. Italy and Spain were the two places that they they shot yeah. for the majority. They might that have, makes They might have used old El Cid sets. So Anthony Mann's Charlton Heston... Sophia Loren, Alcid. Yeah. Um, delightful movie. Mm-hmm. But we're here to talk about another delightful movie. Yes. And, and to get us right into the the story, it gives us the age of reason. Late 18th century. Wednesday. <laughs> and that is how they set the stage for this imaginative fantasy adventure movie called The Adventures of Baron Munchausen directed by Terry Gilliam Hello and welcome to the Ducks Never Waver Lunch Break 
where you get food for thought and can rejuvenate to sally forth. Join the dynamic duo, Edwin and Megan, as they explore topics of gravitas and pomp brought to the brink of absurdity and thrown off, down, down, down the precipice of ridiculousness. How about we talk about the historic setting of Baron Munchausen? It's set in the late 18th century, Age of Reason, but it's not a real land. It's not a real time and place. It's kind of an amalgamation of that whole milieu. It's uh, like the, the clothing design is historic, but you'll see characters like an older woman is wearing something from earlier in the century. Whereas, like, uh, a younger character, like uh, the one that Uma Thurman plays, she's wearing something more in the Regency and, like, a later style. So it's still the same time period, same century, but it's kind of like a hodgepodge and bringing it all together. Uh, So it's not a real place, it's not real history, but the setting is that Age of Reason, the Enlightenment Age, it was called both, late 18th century. Yeah. Which, of course, it, it's interesting that the American War for Independence starts really at the kind of beginning of the Age of Reason. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think you see full force the consequences of the Age of Enlightenment in the French Revolution. Yeah. Vive la France! Maybe someday we'll do a really fun and very intellectual comparison of the two revolutions Mm-hmm. Viva la revolution! Yes. <laughs> no, it, it it's interesting because I think there can be a lot of argument made that the American Revolution wasn't a revolution in the same vein as the French Revolution. Mm-hmm. But that that's kind of neither here nor there but at I, this point. I, yeah, but, I think, but I think like if we d- use the French Revolution, if you know anything about that, uh, that's comes out, like, there's Rousseau going on, there's uh, Descartes, there's all these ideas floating around, there's kind of the rise of the bourgeoisie, the middle class, uh, that comes into play with that as well. So, But it's also a re- the beginning of a rejection in the traditional Christian church. Yeah. Because at this point, the Reformation has taken place, and... Due to the Reformation, Martin Luther, John Calvin, and others, you had a lot of wars. You had a lot of wars for the typical reasons that you had wars. You know, kings wanting bigger territories and so on and so forth. But intermingled with all that was who was going to own the church. Mm -hmm. And by the late 18th century, a lot of those religious wars have kind of died out because everybody's exhausted by them and there's no real winner in fact what kind of happens is then there's a a dramatic shift of like well if the church can be torn asunder then let's tear everything apart yeah no really what uh from from the the brief research i did and there's a wonderful short article that i read today that i found very helpful so i'll have that linked in, in the description if you guys want to give that a read. But uh, there's kind of some, some major players when we talk about the Age of Enlightenment. 
one thing also too is this there's this a little bit of of this this hubris of like everything was darkness and now we're enlightened like just the age like the the, the title the, itself yeah the fact that now we're enlightened now we're enlightened everybody before us not so smart although <laughs> it is kind of interesting that also the age of enlightenment is also now we're going back to the ancient greeks right that that that's, oh, the bar- that, yeah. that ties into it as well like oh you know instead of you know, the all these high th- philosophy yeah. kind of idea. You have really, I what I've gleaned is that at the heart of it is it's very egocentric. Uh, you think of Descartes, I think, therefore I am. So what does that do? That places the individual at the center. Well, it places the, it, more than just that, it's not just at the center, but it bases the human, the individual human, as the only starting point for truth. Yeah, and that's where you run into problems and you start getting terms of subjectivity and objectivity. Well, murder is immoral. Immorality is subjective. Yes, but subjectivity is objective. Not in any rational scheme of perception. Perception is irrational and implies imminence. But judgment of any system or a priori relation of phenomena exists in any rational or metaphysical or at least epistemological contradiction to an abstracted empirical concept such as being or to be or to occur in the thing itself or of the thing itself. Yeah, I've said that many times. Because everything kind of, because if you are the only way that you can understand truth, then everything is subjective. Yes, right. Because, because like how you understand things is true because you are thinking it, and there's no basis for anything else. Indeed, and ultimately, you also have no true interaction with another person because you are locked in your own box. Essentially, yeah. all you have is your perceptions of the other person, and you never are able to truly interact with another person at that same level. Of, of assurance and mm-hmm. then the the it's kind of fun because you, you get to say the the cognito ergo sum i think mm-hmm. therefore yeah. i am yeah and it leads you almost in that thought process it almost leads you right away to the ding on sich that's german like the thing in itself right yeah. so how do you if if only myself thinking is what's true yeah and, and, and explains my existence how do i experience the thing in itself mm-hmm. all around me well you know who I was thinking of when I, I read this? I right away thought of, of Nietzsche. Oh, it, it, it right? leads right away. Like how he right just away. like took that and ran with it and just like enforce your will upon it. And that is the meaning. Well, yeah, because right? well, you Nietzsche kind of just reveals that if you're going to take this line of thought to its conclusion, you end up with nihilism. And if you have nihilism, you have an amoral society. Well, murder is immoral. Immorality is subjective. Yes, but subjectivity is objective. Not in any rational scheme of perception. And at the, at the other end, you have Thomas Hobbes, uh, and he reduced all existence into to mere matter. Um, all that exists is body. All that occurs, motion. And and really, when so that's you, also a dehumanizing. It, it is dehumanizing. It's very interesting that the the conflict between like Descartes and Hume, um, Hobbes. Mm-hmm. It, they're just flip sides to the same coin. Yeah. And really, if you start thinking about it, the, the reason in the age of enlightenment you have rationalism, well, rationalism is really just the other side of the coin of romanticism. 
And we'll yeah. get into that more and more. But, like, yeah. because... Well, because I think it is so individualistic and you just, like, have this heightened view of self, it kind of leads to that individual, which is kind of like the expressive model of romanticism. Like, you think of romantic music, right? Yeah. Like, you kind of see that expressive, like, oh, it's the individual expressed. I Exactly. But it, it's it starts from an over-rationalizing of the human. This is what Baron Munchausen is about. It's taking reason to its absurd limit. It, it's really not absurd. It's just if you're going to be endowed with reason to the, the utmost, you can, for one, justify anything. And, mm-hmm. and it becomes absurd. And how can that be that reason is more absurd than a man who can pull himself out of the sea by his own pigtail? Right, because what you have in the opening scene is it sets the stage very well for how absurd things have become through the age of enlightenment. Yeah, because they send the hero. So the, in this town, they're sieged by the sultan. Well, and that in itself is irrational or un- unreasonable. Like, uh, like how if you're so reason, like age of reason, and your your intellect mm-hmm. is so amazing, and that why are you even at war? Well, because probably the argument would be that they're so rational then the Sultan just doesn't, like, comprehend that yet. Yeah, but they have treaties of this day he fights and then the next day they fight. They have yeah. a joke of saying, because, uh, you know, there's the, the Sultan is bombarding the, the town and the Baron goes up to these soldiers like, well, why aren't you shooting back at them? And they go, well, it's Wednesday. Yeah. Because that's the rules they came up with. Yeah. And, and that's why they ended up executing their hero who yes. fought bravely against... Oh, that's, the, the I self- love that scene. It's like, are you the man who, you know, single-handedly, you know, took down ten men and protected your whole garrison? And yeah. did, and he's like, yes, I, I did, sir. And he's like... And he's wounded. And he's wounded, and he's like, trying to be humble about it. And he's like, yes, yes, I did. He's like, well, execute him at once. Because if everybody... Uh, will start to feel bad about themselves because yeah. they're not a hero. And exactly. so you have to keep the status quo, keep everybody at the same level, right? Mm-hmm. Which seems kind of... Well, doesn't that, that remind you of The Incredibles? You know, when everybody's super, mm-hmm. no one is. Our powers made us special. Everyone's special, Dash. Which is another way of saying no one is. Yeah, but all like kind of like a little bit of like Animal Farm with all the pigs trying to keep everybody like down and at a certain level and they're mm-hmm. above them and like they're down below but it's like it's 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 that over flattening of the yeah uh, just of keep everything it, yeah keep everybody uh, flat keep that everybody short down. story harrison bergen is bergeron that, bergeron yeah yep. that that's the the flattening of the the human existence yeah so it, it shows with the the character horatio jackson he is the voice of reason and through many humorous but also because it's so like because it's humorous it really cuts through and you're like mm-hmm. oh that's not that's not good that's not good we don't want that kind of reason no and like what you were saying at the very beginning that you're you have a turning away from god in this is you have august comte i'm going to say like the chief i don't know if that's <laughs> how you actually say it but comte okay uh he wrote the drama of atheist humans or humanism Human? I can't read my own handwriting. But, and that was summarized by uh, the philosopher Emile Sesset that 
he offers Christian Europe a new god to worship, the human race. Yeah. So man becomes the new god. Uh, so I thought that was interesting, and that he kind of, Comte came up with like an evolutionary understanding and, and development of human society and culture. It, it begins with belief in fictitious beings called gods. Uh, then seeing the fiction as metaphor, and that's kind of like metaphysics, mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, that can be abandoned so that science might come of an age. Yeah. So he kind of like, there's this evolution, this cycle, and you go through it. Like first you, you know, believe in it as a god, and then mm -hmm. you find out like, oh, it's a metaphor, and then you see like the real it's, it's reason, a, yeah. rational. And, and Does that it, make sense? Yeah, no. So the the... A big proponent of the scene as a metaphor, as the as a story of the underlying truths of reality, that it starts becoming a very Jungian, uh, Carl Jung mm -hmm. philosophy. He was after Freud, and he he basically says that oh well, the the Christian God is just the Bible essentially is a s story of how, who we are as humans, and it's basically evolutionarily in, in inbred in us and, and it's us trying to make sense of the world yeah and because it's so old and and it's so interwoven and with who we are it becomes a type of truth because what it is is it's it's i guess people would say he would say it's it's more true than actual true because it finds the web of meaning right mm. but still the problem is with the whole thing is it becomes a meaning that you believe in just because it has meaning so then i feel so like that, you've just circled back to the first thing that he said that you're believing in something fictitious you and are making that your god but i'm like that's what he's saying that you're not doing because you've gone full well but i'm like it seems like you're in an endless loop well you or not. The, the problem is, is that you can't help but believe in something. So the question yeah. is, what are you going to believe in, or believe? Who who are you going to believe? Are you yeah. going to believe the humanists? Are you going to believe yourself? Are you going to be the god of creation? Yeah. Or is the god who actually made things going to be your ruler? Yeah. Because we can't help but serve something. We'll, we'll Gotta serve somebody. Exactly. Yeah. But you're gonna have to serve somebody Yes, indeed You're gonna have to serve somebody Well, it may be the devil Or it may be the Lord But you're gonna have to serve somebody That's, that's the tension that humanism puts into place Is that now... If, if you can work yourself to being your own little God and like, let, let's be real here. When people say things like believe the science, that's, mm -hmm. that's a call to faith. That's, yeah. that's, that's religious talk about something that's supposed to be a religious. Mm -hmm. But the question is, can anything be a religious? No, I, I mean, I, yeah. I would say no, no. If you're being honest, nothing can be a-religious because yeah. everybody's going to bring yeah. their own um, religiosity to it and, mm -hmm. it, and you can't escape that. Yeah. But, I mean, that's what Jung would also agree with that, that you can't escape that, so you may as well embrace it. 
by seeing the the Bible as the the greatest myth ever told, let's say. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what he would say, but that's not what it is, because if that's what it is, then we lose ourselves inside what Nietzsche saw. Mm-hmm. See, Nietzsche is the answer, well, kind of an answer to that. I was like, if that's the case, then it's all absurd, and then you may as well make your own meaning, okay? But you can't make your own meaning. So then we're doomed. <laughs> yeah. So, so here's the thing. is like, if you... You fail to believe, if you fail to have faith, you will see that you are, in a way, free from all social demands and so on. You can have your own will to power if you're strong enough for it. That's what Nietzsche would say. If if you dare be strong enough to mm-hmm. will yourself to power, it's it's morally right to do whatever you want, to get whatever you want. Right. Mm-hmm. But then there's something in us that's like, oh, that's not right. Now, Nietzsche would call that slave morality. So mm-hmm. it's the weak trying to suppress the strong. That's actually a very interesting idea. But he very much detested yeah. that he, he detested the saying of turn the other cheek. Because what he saw as turn the other cheek is slave morality, yeah. where you, by being weak, overcome the strong. But it's an inner contradiction of his 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 uh, logic because, of course, he really upholds the ubermensch, the man who can overcome. Mm-hmm. But he, and he says, by any means necessary. You can't be weak. If you're weak and you use that as a strength, he sees that as morally detestable in a whole framework <laughs> that he has where there's no morality. Hmm. Are you having fun yet, folks? It's problematic. It's problematic. Well, I mean, getting getting to like what is what is truth... What do you believe in? It's time to ask yourself what you believe. That is a theme running through Baron Munchausen, the Adventures yeah. of Baron Munchausen, the movie that we are talking about. And it is mentioned, and the thing is, is like when you count certain themes in movies, I have my little tally marks, um, you, may, you may find more than me, you may find less. It depends how you count. Especially with something like there is this theme of Baron always telling the truth. There's a lot of like, oh, that's all lies. I never lie. Stuff like that. Um, he's like, and then he asks people like, do you believe in me? Uh, so there's that a lot of times. I counted it more literally like, is that a lie? There's even really something sneaky on his tomb. Did you read that? Here lies. Baron. Oh, gotcha. You're supposed to be thinking about truth. Lies. Okay. So I, I counted it to be seven times, like literally talking like lies. No, I tell the truth. Okay. There's other moments of questioning, though, that you can yeah. count or not. Right. And that's really important. Like, and that's he's almost like annoying about how he's like legalistic about how much he tells the truth. Right. Because Sally, the little girl, uh, says like, yeah, and he wrote on this cannonball in the sky and then. You know, he flew over to the Sultan's army and then he came back. He's like, no, that's not true. And she's like, yes, it is. And of course, all the adults are mocking her for for lying and telling such a tall tale. And then he's like, no, it was a mortar shell that brought me over the Sultan's army. And then I caught the cannonball going the other way. And then that's how I got back to the town. You know, but he's like, no, I I tell the truth. Right. And that's actually how we get to find out about the story is that you have these play actors performing a play at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. 
and they're performing the adventures of Baron Munchausen. <laughs> Delightfully meta in there, <laughs> kind yes. of like. It's, it's, but it, it has it, to fit all together in that does. way. I, I think it's very Shakespearean, too. Yes. Yes, it is the very. The play within a play. And so they're playing, you know, and then, you know, they're say, saying things about, you know, Baron and his adventures. And he, the real Baron comes up and says, no, that's not how it happened. Yeah. And he, he has to have the truth be told. Like that's, yeah. you know, he's like, no, 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 you guys have to stop. And he draws his sword and there's a kerfuffle and he's like, no, tell the truth. And he tells them that this war is my fault. Mm-hmm. This siege that you guys are under, it's it's all my fault. Mm-hmm. And of course, everybody laughs at him. He's like, no, I started it, and I'm the only person that I can... Who can end who, it. I'm the per- only person who can end it. I, I, I always thought one line was, was interesting. Uh, another theme that you're going to see a lot of is death. Mm-hmm. Uh, death as a figure, a, a grim reaper. Uh, and again, I didn't... I only counted how many times death the character, I, it's not character, the image, mm-hmm. death the image, does that, yeah. are we happy with that? Uh, shows up seven times. Hmm. But all through the movie, we're playing with aging. You know, he he ages. He, he starts old. He, he starts gets old. He gets young. He... You know, ages suddenly. He, mm-hmm. you know, to quote uh, uh, Camelot, the the musical, he youthens. <laughs> um, so uh, there's this plane of age, back and forth, and like death knocking, and you know what makes you young and what and, you know and aging. Uh, and so there's this one moment early on where death is trying to take him. And Sally, the image of, of youth and believing, mm-hmm. uh, stops. Kind of stops. innocence, too, right? Yeah, innocence, uh, not been jaded yet, I guess. Y- yeah. You know, because people are just either trying not to... Not yet at the age of not believing. Yeah. <laughs> Searching everywhere for something true. You're at the age of not believing when all the make-believe is through. That's Charlie to a T. She stops him, but then, but Baron's like, no, just, just let me, let me die. And, and he says like, because it's, it's all logic, reason, science, laws of this and that. No place for cucumber trees. No place for me. No place for stories. Who cares? And she says, I care. Oh man, that makes me cry. Like she screams it at him. I do. Tell me, mm-hmm. tell me, and he's like, "I'll oh, go away, you little brat. I just want to die. Just let me die." Yeah, and that is—it's her insistence on on telling the story, and that's what saves his life. Mm-hmm. Is the story that he has to tell. Yeah, and so I like that happens so early on in the movie, but I know. it's like so emotional. <laughs> Sally, it always makes me cry. <laughs> I got it. I got to admit, I, I maybe relate to her too much, but she genuinely wants to know. Then there's there's Horatio. We talked a little bit about Horatio Jackson, mm-hmm. uh, about him killing the hero, and thinking that the Baron is ridiculous. But there's there's this other scene. I don't know if you noticed it. It's taken me a, a couple times watching it, which I watched this movie endlessly. 
but he's this uh, Baron is you know escaping because he's got to get the team back together. Got we to gotta get the, get the band. The band. <laughs> the band. The band. The band. The band. The band. back together so that he can he can fix this so he can stop the war with the sultan so he's trying to get his friends back together so he's leaving in a hot air balloon and the soldiers report that and horatio says well arrest them at once so okay and and once you arrest them throw them out the gates kick them out of the town because they're trying to escape Mm -hmm. and he's like well we can't open the gates sir because they're going to rush in. They're right at the, the gate there. So, yeah. Well, well, then throw them over the wall. So he's arresting people trying to get out over the walls. Yeah. And his, again, his reason for it is, oh, then everybody will want to escape. Yeah. So we can't have that. But at the same time, our punishment is doing exactly, exactly the what, same yeah. thing as getting them out of the town. Yeah. Arrest them and kick them out. Like, that's exactly what they want. Yeah. So that, to me, and just, like, it seems so, it's so ridiculous. Well, it's supposed to. Uh, and so they do go up in the uh, hot air balloon, and Sally is a stowaway. Uh, and then we get a really wonderful scene with Robin Williams as King of the Moon. King of everything. Ray de tutto. But you may call me Ray. You know, the moon is a very insignificant part of my domain now. There is so much, 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 much more. <laughs> Nothing ails me. Can you not see that I am at one with the cosmos? Mm. Ah. Ah. I tell you that and all you can say is, ah. What, are you blind? Baron, let me explain it to you. Since you were last here, I, that is my head, that which is left of me, where the brilliant and important parts are located, is now ruling and governing the known universe. And that which I don't know, I create. I just created spring. But seriously, without me, there would be nothing, not even you. Cogito ergo es. I think, therefore, you is. There goes my revolting body with the queen. Thinking horrible man. Oh, it's so embarrassing. Please don't look. Maybe you'll go away. It is hard to believe my body and I were ever attached. We are so totally incompatible. I mean, he is still dangling from the food chain and I am in the stars. Oh, it is so unmetaphysical. No. Do you want to you talk a little bit about that that scene there? And Well, the king of the moon has rejected his body entirely. Yes. So now he's the uh, a disembodied head. Yeah, it's that Cartesian idea of uh, the body is is basically just there to hold your brain. Yes, which I mean it does go back quite a ways. That that thought the ancient Greeks would also have said that what is in your mind is is much more real than what is mm-hmm. physical, and yeah. and he he's uh. He's just trying to get away from his, his his disgusting body. Yes, and he like literally does like his head his head can come off. Yeah, his and his his wife like they they're both the the moon people I guess their their heads can come off. Apparently, uh, I think it's so funny how he tries to tie it on with fabric, 
<laughs> he wraps fabric around his head once he conjoins it with his body again. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's it's really interesting how like this he's he's struggling with his body and and his he wants to be free of it, but then that has its own host of problems. Yeah. Uh, and so yeah, it's just a really cool. I mean, just visually, like the whole movie visually is spectacular, a work of art. I don't know how else to describe it besides mm-hmm. just one of the most original looks. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're like, I want a movie that has its own look. It doesn't look like anything else. Which is hard to describe because it doesn't look like anything. I can't compare it. Yeah. and it's it, But it's interesting it, that you say that. It, it, looked, it looks unique. <laughs> but it still is in that world. It, it, feel, it is part of our world. It's very right? real. And it's so... But I think part of it is like, it's just that attention to detail. It's, it's so layered. It's so textured. Mm-hmm. Uh, like all the clothing is good. It's, it's, it's all the clothing is accurate. It's beautifully aged. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did film a lot in Italy. And so a lot of the set pieces are kind of based off of, uh, especially like on the King of the Moon, they took all the, the face fronts of face fronts. They painted facades, facades of like Roman yes. townhouses so fast like from like ancient rome like it, it's fascinating like the detail in all of it it is funny too because like that even that kind of shows in the movie because they're welcomed onto the moon and there's a crowd cheering but there's no crowd there mm-hmm. and the, it looks like there's buildings but they're just this facade that comes up it's and all artifice like, and yeah. i wonder if that feeds into the philosophy of the king and the moon? That's true. Like Because, like, how is it... He, it can't possibly be true that when he goes, like, oh, now I just created spring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just created spring. Right? It's just... Sorry, it's just ridiculous. Well, yeah, and, like, the Baron calls him loony. Yeah. Which is... Yeah. Because he is... He's loony. A, he's yeah. loony. Yeah. He's a lunatic. <laughs> thought that was clever. Yeah. <laughs> So and, and and it's funny too, like you're saying, like about the aesthetics of the the film itself, that everything feels so real. Like all the special effects feel like they could happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, a movie, another movie that I think of is Slipper in the Rose, where they worked so hard that it feels both magical and real. Yeah. Like um, I, I believe the the director was Brian Forsyth, and I was listening to him talk. He's like, yeah, I wanted you to think that you could take your everyday mop, and with your fairy godmother, it would turn into this this beautiful wig for Cinderella. Yeah. Uh, or like you know, so he's like, I didn't want it to feel, bibbity bobbity boo, basically. Yeah. Y- you know, and and it's like he wanted it to feel magical, but also like it really happened. Yeah. Oh. Do you think part of that is because they don't really use CGI? I do. I I think CGI has has gone a long ha, has come a long way. I, yeah. I really do. Uh, especially like from what's the what's the what's the James Bond one where Pierce Bronson is is uh, like surfing 
Oh, with yeah, the, but, like, yeah, with on the, the fake waves. On the fake waves. Is that golden? Uh, no, no, that's the one where it melts. And so he had, like, it's like the tsunami of ice. Die again another day? Yeah. That's it. It looks awful. Yeah. So I will say CGI has gone a long way. But I can always tell when it's CGI. Always. Yeah. And Isn't that weird? I do think because they used practical effects, uh, I think the most CGI thing that they did were the constellations when they're on the tip of the moon. Okay. Right, that would be put in digitally. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I think most of it is, is practical effects. Mm hmm And that, I, I do think it has a certain added realism. I mean, and that's the thing, like, when I say, like, oh, you can tell when something's CGI. I can't tell, like, when things are blended in, like, when it's a practical effect and you're adding yeah. a little bit here and there. I'm talking about, like, a building being on fire and it's CGI fire or a, a crowd in, like, the arena. Yeah. I can tell. That is not yeah. real people. And I, I think everybody can tell. Yeah. Honestly. Uh, so I do think having real effects really make it. It does. It helps suspend your disbelief. Yeah. Also, I think it makes it more beautiful for some reason. I think it yeah. just... Yeah. Well, because they, they made the the models so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Like the fish that swallows, like the monster that, that, that swallows them up. and Yeah. Even at the beginning when Berthold is sleeping under the tree, that's all of set. That's all. Yeah. And then like him running super fast, that's done by models. Okay. Where they have like the running track of like, is that like fuse yeah. running through okay. um, a model. That's just beautiful. And I, I think too, like when you talk about set pieces and, and models, like to have a heightened sense of reality and like a more beautiful, I think of uh, the trouble with Harry in a Hitchcock film where basically everything happens on this overly beautiful set of uh, what would be like a, a part of a, a forest in Vermont. Like the, the colors are just so rich and so saturated and just gorgeous like this fall. And it's just really memorable because it's it's realistic looking, but it's just like extra. Oh, okay. You know Hitchcock in color. He yeah. really nails it, so... Yeah, that's that's another thing I, that's yeah. kind of scratched up from from my brain. He's getting the band back together. And the band. Yeah. So at at the King of the Moon, um, he finds Berthold, which is his servant. Yeah. Um, I, I do think it's marvelous that they rescue him. And it's, oh, he he's lost his memories because he's been he's been. In Locked prison up. for yeah. so long. And there's something about the moon that makes him forget. Yeah. And then he, uh, it all comes back to me now. You started ha playing hanky panky with the king of the moon's wife, and you left me here to rot in prison. And the Baron goes, Yeah. Oh, okay. I'll come with you. <laughs> it's like, okay. <laughs> He's all outraged, and he's like, Okay, fine. Oh, yeah. And so uh, that, they, they escape from the, the moon to, like, there's just so many funny moments. Like, just, like, talking about it, like, step by step. Oh, I just like him cutting the hair off the moon. 
Mm-hmm. It's like, just attach it to the bottom. I cut it off the top. He's like, well, that's not going to work. It's like, yes, it will attach. It's like, oh, good thinking. That's why you're the Baron. And then, <laughs> They all fall off the moon. <laughs> so, uh, there's so many, so many good moments, so many funny, priceless moments like that. Uh, but that makes them, they fall into uh, the volcano where Vulcan is working. And... On settling labor disputes with the Cyclops. Yes, yes. And he makes arms and, and you know, supplies the weapons for, for the wars. I think it's Oliver Reed is the actor that plays... I think so, yeah. He is too good. Like, he goes for it. Like, And that's the thing, too, like, with the, the acting in this. Like, everyone just gives it their all. Yeah. You know, because they're over-the-top characters... They're, I mean, they're, they're characters from a tall tale, right? Yeah. So they, you know, and, and, but it works because everybody's playing at that level. There's no yeah. one overacting. Right. Uh, but they're just like embodying just, that character. Like yeah. what would Vulcan be like? Yeah. Yeah. And then that's where Baron meets Venus, mm-hmm. who is married to Vulcan. And that seems to be his one kryptonite, maybe. Beautiful ladies. Beautiful ladies. Where he gets distracted from his purpose. Yeah. And It's happened to many a man. <laughs> so he's dancing with with Venus and it's Sally that's like, but we gotta get back. We gotta get back. What do you make of, of Sally saying like, you know, people are dying, we gotta get back? And then the Baron saying, They're fine. Don't worry about it. Yeah. And then it cuts to them not being fine. Yeah. Uh, I think that's in part showing the connection between the two worlds, right? Like, mm-hmm. what, it's not just a story that's happening with Baron and Sally, right? Because they okay. cut back, right, and the war's breaking in. Mm-hmm. Um, but with her, like, we were talking about, like, truth-telling. Do you think that contradicts that at all? Like, when he's kind of just, like, or is he just, you know, assuaging, is that how you say that word? assuaging her mm-hmm. her fears or no i i think that is a little bit his kryptonite is he doesn't want to be bothered by that mm-hmm. right is he because yeah it, it is a little bit i, I think that's the thing is like he, the beautiful ladies kind of are they're reducing his good judgment mm-hmm and I think, too, maybe he's looking at those people like, those are the people who have rejected me, so why really bother when I'm... Yeah. Like, have, wh- when I'm having a good adventure here, why yeah. would I yeah. be beholding? But, like, it, he just kind of loses his track for a moment. Uh-huh. And then Sally calls him back, and they end up falling through the other side of the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Once Vulcan, I love that scene where they're kicking their legs and like they can't yeah. figure out. Isn't that a thing though? Like when, like, is that true that sometimes you can be underwater and lose which way is up? Or oh, I thought that was false. That you would instinctively know which way was up. No, they do this thing. It's they dunk you in this. It's basically supposed to resemble a helicopter chassis, and it crashes into the water. And then it flips a couple times. And they all are, are like, okay, this is like how you figure out which way's up. Like where you are. Because you're going to become disoriented because you've flipped multiple times and you've crashed really hard. So this is, you know, like bubbles always go up. and Okay, look for your bubbles. Yeah. Tiny bubbles. Yeah. 
in the wine. Tiny And of course, the one the one instruction they always give for all these 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 safety stay calm. But well, yeah, yeah if, if you're just able to just stay calm, everything would be easy. Easy for you to say. <laughs> it is funny. This is the same thing you tell people when they first start to just is like just stay calm, just breathe, just breathe. Like, <gasps> yeah. <laughs> No, and, and just, like, a little aside, too, like, talking about, like, oh, we're running out of time. we got to get back to the town. Clocks are another thing, or, or hourglasses, mm-hmm. particularly, are... That, that shows... I counted five. I noticed that, too. I didn't count them, but I noticed it was very prominent. Yeah. And Which, again, like, the aging, the youthening, the... Do you think that's a little bit the message of the movie, though, is, death. like, you can't... Death and time... Mm-hmm. Confront all of all of all your of life. Us. Yeah. yeah. It's it's kind of, yeah, and like the running out of time. I think it's you're running out of time to believe in the story. That's a good way to put it. Right, because you, they're under siege, and he has to fix it, but nobody believes that he can actually fix it mm-hmm. because nobody believes that he's real. So, do you think maybe that's? One thing maybe to add to it is, is I think that the time comes for everybody. It comes for those yeah. who believe and it comes for those who don't believe. Like that, mm-hmm. that is it, like an insurmountable en- enemy. But like it's, it's what do you do with the time you have? Yes. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. And it's because you have a young character like Sally. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she's tested too. At one point... She wants to give up. Mm-hmm. Don't you say that. Yeah, I said, you mustn't say that. That's mm-hmm. what the Baron says. Like, not you, Sally. Mm-hmm. Like, anybody else but you. And so she's... So it's like young and old are dealing with this. I think that's maybe also what it's, yeah. it's, it's trying to say. Like, yeah, everybody's dealing with this. They, they're in the belly of the monster. A modicum of snuff can be <laughs> most efficacious. <laughs> But before that, he he calls it in, right? Like he, he does. He gives up, and I wonder if there's something about the ship, because like, he he meets his last two friends, right? Because mm-hmm. in in Vulcan, he in Vulcan's volcano, yeah, lair, whatever. Uh, they find his friend Albrecht, mm-hmm. the strong man. Uh, so now he has two of his his four companions, and then in the belly of the the fish. He finds his other two companions, Aldolfus and uh, Gustavus. Mm-hmm. And they're basically like, come, come join us to death. Yeah. Come join our, our card game. Like, come, yeah. come join us. And it's a card game where death is dealing. Yeah. Literally. And they're, they're all content to do that. And because Baron's, you know, had, like got kicked out from being with Venus, he's aged dramatically. Mm-hmm. Much, much older. And he just is kind of like, okay, I've had... I've, I'm done. And then... What what happens then? The horse comes. The horse comes. And that's so fascinating that the horse, like the, the, the white horse brings 
brings new life. Also, I think Sally scares off death again. Like mm-hmm. she, she breaks up. Like she scatters the cards. Yeah. But also, I think I was so cool how with all of his friends, they're all a little broken. Mm-hmm. You know, Bertold, the the fastest man, can hardly walk. Oh, I thought you were talking about how they also have weaknesses. Like, Berthold's actually, like, a coward. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's the servant. He's like, yeah. Okay. No. No, no, he is a little bit. Albrecht just wants to be dainty. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. Um, Augustavus, like, his, his hearing's gone. He needs to have a trumpet. Mm-hmm. And um, Adolphus uh, has taken on a really hilarious accent. <laughs> and also... Um, He's actually one of the writers. So he and Terry Gilliam, I forget his name right now, okay. wrote the screenplay for this. Okay. And so he was acting in, I, I listened to the, the director's, like... Commentary? Commentary. And they're like, why did you do that voice? He's like, I don't know, I just decided to do it and you didn't say to change it, so, <laughs> so I stuck with it. <laughs> uh, but, like, his eyesight, he's supposed to have, like, yeah. the sharpest eyesight and can shoot um, halfway around the world, which, like... That's the farthest you can go. Isn't that the weirdest thing about that? Halfway around the world is the farthest you can go. The Well, the furthest you can get from a point. Yeah. Yeah. Because otherwise you're just getting... You're getting closer. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. That's how circles work. <laughs> See, that's what you learn when you listen to the, the Ducks Never Waver lunch break. So you learn how circles work. Uh, despite all, all of you thinking that we are flat earthers, we... we uh... <laughs> The, the uh, earth is circle. The it earth is the... donut shaped. Yes. A big hole in the middle. For even frying. Yes. That's why there's the hole in the middle. And so it can rise properly. Yes. <laughs> I love us. <laughs> We're the best. Um, there's there's a whole bunch of theories like I don't know too much about it, but apparently if you want to make the math really complicated, you could you could put the Earth into different shapes than just a regular sphere. Hmm. A regular sphere. You can make it into an irregular sphere. Well, I mean, like, there's all, like, these different shapes. There's shapes that are, like, math, like, are physically impossible shapes, like the infinite tw- twisted eight. Oh. Or yeah. it, like, goes through itself. Mm-hmm. Why? Why would you do this? Like, what What do you learn from knowing that? Okay, so... It's Besides just, that you know that you know it. No, well, the... <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> what always interests me is that we just assume that people who think that the Earth is flat are just dumb people. Oh, I'm just saying that it, if you want to struggle through the math hard enough and you, you know... Don't take into account everything because every theory has certain things it can't account for. You could kind of end up believing in a flat earth. Well, I mean, that's just like any theory, conspiracy theory. Like, there's always like gaps of information where yeah. you can infer something different than everybody else's. Yeah. So, like, and there's like ways of reading the, the data differently. Yeah. Uh, so it's not like they're idiots, it's just they're misguided. Severely. <laughs> <laughs> but you're still allowed to berate them. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I know. You're allowed Everybody to berate. Everybody needs a good berating. Oh, yeah. I'm yeah. sure that people would berate us for this podcast. Oh, sure. They would be wrong. They probably have. No. Have they? Maybe they have. I don't know. 
We're not very good at listening, apparently. That's just because they don't write us emails. Oh. And, you know, they could write us emails. They could. At ducksneverwaver at gmail.com. That's true. They could do that. If they wanted to. But we we think they should only write nice things. That'd be preferable. Berate us with nice things. We do have a setting that basically Google reads our emails and it just kicks out the ones that are nasty. Yeah. So that's probably why we we haven't been berated yet. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, like here's one swear word and it's gone. Yeah. 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 Or like just a bad tone of voice if you didn't put enough smiley faces in. Really? (laughs) I knew I was going to get you there. (sighs) You hate the smiley faces. I really... I kind of hate the smiley faces. I also hate that like a period is now seen as aggressive, aggressive (laughs) and downbeat. Yeah. Like I don't need to put an exclamation point at the end of all my sentences. Yeah. It's basically exclamation point basically feels like up inflection. Yeah. (laughs) Whereas that's not what it means, but yeah. People don't get sarcasm that well. No. Sarcasm's really hard. I think sarcasm people don't get even when it's spoken. Yeah. I really like messing with people, though. It's one of my great delights in life. <laughs> is it now? I, to be true, it is. I don't know. Just like, yeah, sarcasm, and then people take you seriously, and then you're like, no, 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 I was serious. <laughs> and they're like, wait, was that serious? Like, yeah, that was serious. Wait, was that serious? <laughs> And I'm like, well, what do you think it is? I don't know. I want my mom. (laughs) And that has to do with the age of reason because really sarcasm is playing with the fabric of reality. Mm, Nice segue there. I was wondering how we're going to get this shit back in in the water. (laughs) About face. I don't know. It was beached. I don't know. Broken. I don't know what kind of boat it was. Turn this ship around? Is that what the saying is? What is the saying? Make way to the wind. (laughs) Starward! Starboard! I must down to the seas again. To the lonely sea and sky. And all I ask is a tall ship and a star to steer her by. And the wheels kick and the wind song and the white sail shaking. And a gray mist on the sea's face. Where's the clear call that can't be denied? That's like the only part. Down to the seas again. For the call of the running tide is a wild call and a clear call that That may may not be be denied. denied. That's like the only part of that poem I know. And it's like, I always think it's the second line. That may not be denied. It's the second stanza. Everybody's like, ah, rejected. (laughs) We're in a ship that's going the right direction. And so is the Baron. Yeah. Now. Now, because uh, between Sally and the horse, they're now back on track. The team's gotten back together. Mm-hmm. And they're making their way back to to the town. Uh, do you want to say something about what happens next? They fight. Win. <laughs> no, they don't win right away. No, it, it seems insurmountable. Like, yeah, because... Uh, you know, they start, the, the Sultan starts shooting at them in the water. 
and Baron starts calling out orders like he used to. He's mm-hmm. like, Albrecht, you, you grab these, and Aldolfus, you shoot that guy up there. Yeah. Gustavus, you do that, and, and make yourself useful, we're yeah. told. Uh, and then the cannonball lands in the ship, it breaks, and everything falls apart. Yeah, the plan sinks. The plan sinks. It's a really good metaphor, yeah. actually. It's a visual metaphor. A visual metaphor. And like it, like the plan breaks apart, mm-hmm. and so they they drag their stuff. After they had done bodies. all this hard work to get the band back together, I know, and then it doesn't work. The band isn't what they used to be. Yeah. The band, I want the band. They're broken and old. Like that's what Sally yeah. says. Yeah. Like you know, because Baron's like, what went wrong? And and Sally's like, well, they're old. Uh, because they don't have the same ability to youth in it seems Youthen. like but they do ultimately yeah well because Baron says well I'm going to still finish the tasks that I said I was going to finish right I'm going to give myself up to the Sultan he can chop right. off my head and we'll be done with this mm-hmm. a little bit of a sacrificial theme there totally there has to be a sacrifice mm-hmm. and so he walks in to where the sultan is and guess who do we see there the sultan and the reason guy what's his name horatio jackson horatio. played by jonathan price came back to our yes bronson uh bond references he's a bond villain he's working out a treaty mm-hmm. with the sultan and he's like okay well you have to sign this and and the sultan's like well well, why, why does it say this here, that, that you win? Yeah. And, and, and Jackson says, well, because you won last time. And so it's like, well, I'm winning right now. It's like, no, 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 no. You won last time. Now it's our turn to win. Yes. It's your turn to surrender. It's your turn to surrender. And then kind next time. Kind of like time... that spoiled kid who you never really liked <laughs> growing up. Yeah. It's my turn to win the game. Yeah. Maybe spoiled isn't the right way to say it. No. Um, rotten kid. Rot- yeah. Bad apple. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but then then Munchausen comes and says, here I am. And that's... The catalyst for the big battle. Yeah, because his friends are like, wait, we can't leave the Baron behind. Let's, mm-hmm. let's rally. And so they, they do. They win against the Sultan. It's a route, mm-hmm. which is a reference to an old computer game we used to play. It's a route. You remember that? Oh, yeah. That audio just lives in my brain. It's a route. <laughs> and, and stockpile is full, my lord. <laughs> stockpile is full, my lord. Shut up. I'm losing. <laughs> exactly. Everybody's died. Stockpile is full, my lord. <laughs> I... I had a game. I had lost. And before I realized that the game was over, yeah. the last thing it said was, Stockpiles full, my lord. Uh, <laughs> no, it's not full because I just lost. I just died, so it is inconsequential. <laughs> they, they ride into the city mm-hmm. and... They are welcomed as heroes, rightfully so. They're riding through the town, and all of a sudden a shot rings out, 
and we see that someone has shot the Baron. Mm-hmm. He falls off his horse, and we, we see that it was Horatio Jackson. So you could say that reason kills him. Mm-hmm. And so everybody's very broken up about about him and they they call in for a doctor and he said all through the movies no doctors no doctors Mm -hmm. do you think it's because of the science like do you think it's like i'm not sure yeah i'm not really quite sure what i mean also i don't know if it was just because doctors are kind of like harbinger of death yeah that could be i mean let's face it you never see a doctor when you're well that's that's very true it, it does seem that, like, I don't know, like, once you start going to a doctor, you just just keep seeing a doctor. Yeah, you do, and you're just like, wow, I really am dying. Yeah. <laughs> Look at me dying all over the place. Yeah. Um, so uh, the doctor comes, and that ends up being death again, mm-hmm. and, and he dies. And we, we see the, the epitaph on his tombstone, here lies Baron Munchausen. Then we hear... In the transition, that was one of the many times I died. Yeah. And also we're back to him. what we think is the present. Yeah. Him with the actors. Upon the stage that the whole movie started off with. Exactly. And so we're like, oh, that wasn't the end. Like, that's, oh, I guess it's still going. Right? Right. Because he just told his story about yeah. what happened. Baron is under... Put under arrest by right. Horatio. Mm-hmm. But Baron says, open the gate. Mm-hmm. And everybody's like, open the gate? What are you talking about? And, and just open the gates. The Turks are gone. Like, open the gates. And just this beautiful climactic moment. Of him just saying very matter-of-factly, open the gates. And the town rallies behind him. I love the performance of the actor that plays Baron Munchausen on the stage in the movie. Okay, yeah. You know, the the head of yeah. the, the troupe of, of actors. Yeah. Where, uh, because like, Horatio is th- threatening for the troops to kill them and like shoot them all. And he gives this, like, tries to give, like, come, we shall not be in the shadow of fear. We shall rise and open the gates. And he's, like, giving, like, this great oration. Yeah. And Baron goes, no, 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 not that at all. Open the gates. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was like, we're not going to pontificate. Like, it's, it's, that's not why we're here. It's not this big. Overthrowing of the, the social uh, norms. <laughs> yeah, it's not here for you to make a great big speech. Just open the gates. And they do open the gates. And it all happened. The Turks are gone. The Turks are gone. And everybody sees that it, they, they're just gone. Mm-hmm. The war's over. The Sally says the most important thing to Baron, saying, it wasn't just a story, was it? And Baron throws the rose at her. Yeah, the <laughs> rose that he keeps... 
He keeps finding. <laughs> he keeps, keeps having. He always has a rose, and he does give the rose to her. And, and so that's... That's really the, the point of this movie, is that the story changed everything. The story really happened. And yet it was told as a story, right? Because we mm-hmm. flash back to the stage, right? Yeah, and but the story changes the people there too, mm-hmm. though, because they stop listening to Horatio. They stop listening to reason. Mm-hmm. They start listening to the 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 person who's crazy. I mean, the Baron gets called crazy a couple times too, doesn't he? Yeah. Look who's crazy now. Yeah, and like Horatio earlier on says, "You won't get far on hot air and fantasy." Right, when he's taken off in a balloon. Yeah, in the hot air balloon. Yeah. Yeah, and and so I think it just, uh, I think of the, the song from How to Succeed in Business uh, without really trying. And when my face in my fellow man All but falls apart I've but to feel your hand grasping mine and I take heart. I take heart. But like, yeah, whenever like, I don't know, you become despondent with the world and your faith and, and humanity and and life in general just is, is shaken. This is a movie I go to because it's uh, beautiful, but it also says the like reiterates the power of stories and what value they have in our lives and the life-altering aspect of them. Do we have to say any more about, like, aesthetically or, like, warnings for people or... At the very beginning, we might want to say, hey, spoilers, we're going to tell you the whole movie. Yeah. Right? Does does that spoil it for people? Like, I didn't know... For the small mind, it does. Well, I just think it's so cool how it starts on the stage... And then there's a transition on the stage into the story that Baron tells about how this whole war started. Mm-hmm. Then we're back on the stage. Baron almost dies. Then Sally makes him tell the story. Then we're transported into the story. For the majority of the movie, we're in his story, mm-hmm. cutting back and forth to what's happening in the quote-unquote real world. Mm-hmm. And then... We're transported back once he finished the story because we think he's dead. But then he comes to life again on the stage. And then we're like, oh, that was just his tall tale. Now it's going to be done. Now the movie's done. And the movie is done. But we find out that everything had happened in the story. Like, it's just... It's artfully done. It's just so it, cool. I think if you had le- people less skilled doing it, like you and me trying to make this movie, it'd be what? it'd be very confusing. No, that's rude. But I do agree that they do a wonderful job going yeah. back and forth, and it's all very uh, clear and purposeful. I think. Yeah. I don't know if other people would find it confusing, but. I don't think so. Not no. not unreasonably so. Ha. Huh. Reason. <laughs> <laughs> reason, reason, reason. <laughs> like with the the set pieces and the the acting and 
I, I mean, everybody is great. I, I think it's funny that they chose the little girl Sally because she had really huge gaps in her teeth and really crooked teeth. So oh, what okay. he was looking for is kind of like right at the age when you start like losing teeth and you look super dorky and yeah, you know. But like that's the age when you're inquisitive and go get them and a little bit bossy and yeah. you're like, tell me the story. Tell me like that is so believable. Like right at that age, you're like, yes, I was that kid. Yeah. All the details, like it just the little philosophy details, like we say, like really staying true to the, uh, that idea of the enlightenment and the fallout of that idea and the problems with it, but also just, how hilarious that whole Cartesian themed scene on, you know, on the moon Vulcan. It's all about like nuclear weapons and like, yeah. All all the different ways for man to kill it. Yeah. Kill man. Yeah. And just, you know, the way that Vulcan is just kind of like gleeful and just kind of every day. Like, Oh yeah, of course. Like whatever you want, we got. Kills the enemy. All the enemy. Bye. All of them. All their wives and all their children and all their sheep and all their cattle and all their cats and dogs. All of them. All of them. Gone for good. And, you know, Sally's like, oh, that's horrible. And she's like, oh, well, you know, we got we got different weapons for every kind of war. Whatever you want. And then you, you have the, the fish, which is like kind of, I don't know, like they have to like deal with the, the giving up and like being in the depths and... Well, I mean, obviously, with whenever you're inside a large fish, you think of Jonah and you think mm-hmm. of, of Pinocchio. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it's in a way, it's for a story to show that things can't get much worse than this. Mm-hmm. Right? Because you're in a watery grave. Yeah. Yeah. And that kind of starts, like, the several, actually, like, uh, the... I, I guess you could call them resurrections, right? Because he pulls yeah. himself out of the water. Yeah. And then when he dies, he comes back to life. Yeah. Uh, and he says, that was just one of the, the times that I died. Yeah. So, yeah, there's just so much in there. And which is what makes it a movie that I can watch all the time. Like I could watch it once a week easily and enjoy it the same every time. Yeah. If not more, I think my enjoyment grows more and more. And it's not a movie that, uh, there's sometimes we talk about movies here that we've, you know, watched since childhood, like for ages, and that is, it's held up. This is one that I was introduced to later in life, later-ish. But, yeah, it's, it's just has skyrocketed to one of what I've put on my healing movies. Like, when I'm not feeling good, it's one I know will make me feel better inside and out. Like, just... You know, it's it's on that list, and just I think because of the the depth of thought behind it, the beauty of every like every set piece, like every like the cannons, like every everything you could like pause the movie and look at it and look at the detail and be like, wow, somebody. I really love the the beheader's axe. Yes, but also like just and the humor of it too, like that the behead like the the executioner is is blind. Yeah. And he needs a little person, like a little person just to like steer him, him line him up and steer him in the right direction. It, yeah. It's funny that he can't really see where to do it, but yet they draw a dotted line on, on his neck. <laughs> I know, and he can see like, a quill attached to his head. Yeah. And he pulls out and he, 
Yeah, it, it's just quirky. Like, it's just, they just have things in there, and you're like, They have a lot just, of fun making this movie, really. They're I just think. delightful. No, it was a very troubled set. Okay. But it's a fascinating story. If You, you should buy the DVD uh, director's, not director's cut, but it's like the extra... Special bonus features. Special bonus features. Limited edition. Because uh, they made the decision to film in Italy because he was told by his producer that it was going to be so much cheaper. Ends up being like three times more expensive. They run out of money like in the first three months <laughs> of production. Italians didn't really understand the concept of making a movie. So they told him like, okay, I need 16 cannons. They made literal cannons out of metal instead of prop cannons. And so they're like, you have to pay us. So it made be like the Italians saying like, hey, this this guy doesn't speak the language. Let's just oh. bill him. So money was flying everywhere. It was people were sick. Weather didn't work with them. Like, you know, they had all the horses trained, you know, for the Baron. And then there was this equine flu. So they couldn't import the, the horse into Spain that they had trained because they okay. weren't allowed to bring any horses in. Stuff like that. It's a wild story. But none of it shows on film. Yeah. None of it shows that things were absolute chaos. And that's the interesting thing. Like, sometimes you can see on film a troubled... Right. ...shoot. Uh, and so you, you don't see any of that. And they maintained quality. Like, if you listen to them, they talk about, like, huge scenes that they cut. Oh, Okay. And they made smaller and, like, what actually ended up on film. And I'm like, you can't tell. And also what I think is um, the best story out of all of that is how much the crew believed in the Baron. Like, how everybody pulled together. The film crews worked for free, like the, the the one some of the last scenes that they had to shoot in Italy, yeah, nobody was paid. Okay, but they said, "Hey, we believe in this film. We want it to be the best it possibly can." Everybody, almost everybody, poured their heart and soul into making it amazing. Okay, and you can tell that everybody cares about the details. Like the set designer cared about what they were doing, and the yeah. cinematographer cared about what they were doing, and. You know, special effects cared what they were doing. Like, you can tell yeah. that everybody's pulling together. And that's what's so hard about making a movie is that you have thousands of moving parts. Yeah. So it's like everybody has to be pulling their weight. And yes, Terry Gilliam, wonderful direction. Like, his movie Brazil, like, he's just, like, on another level. Like, mm -hmm. he really is. Like, just vision and just pulls out something so different and so amazing uh, but yet so human, like always so real. And so it, it, it's just, he has such a strong vision, but how people have to carry it out as well. And mm -hmm. they have to believe in the vision too. Well, he has to express that. I, I really hope people watch this movie. Uh, I, I, is top 10 favorite movies for me. Nice. Yeah. It gets better every time I watch it. And like I said, like studying this and like learning more about the enlightenment, it's a, uh, subject that's pertinent, I think, because of how much it's in the Enlightenment. That was a kombucha burp. How much the Enlightenment has influenced 
our culture today. Tremendously so. So much so. We take so much of it for granted. With that individualism and all the other, you know, like we, like you're, we were talking about a lot of, of Nietzsche. Like we can see Nietzsche's influence. Like obviously Nietzsche came later, but you can see like the thought progression from the Enlightenment. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's where, yeah, I think this is an interesting and fun and uplifting way to dip your toes into thinking about that. And also just realize that stories have power. It, and, and that a story isn't just a story. Also, we wouldn't mind if you liked, subscribed, share, and send copious amounts of coinage. And we thank you. Gravel, gravel, gravel. Bye-bye, boys. Have fun storming the castle. Think it'll work? It would take a miracle. Bye-bye. Bye.